It's good to be here with you at GYC. In the midst of a global crisis that we can gather together in this setting, I would like to thank the leadership of GYC for the invitation to speak and thank them for running GYC this year. Zoom fellowship is not the same. It's not. It's a blessing to be here. I want to thank everyone involved in GYC this year, those who are volunteering, those who make the whole operation move and work and, and bring everything together. I'd like to thank each and every one of them. It's not easy planning an event during COVID times. It just adds an extra layer of pressure that you don't understand unless you have run something during this time. I've been blessed by my attendance here at GYC this year. It's been a privilege to be here. I've been especially blessed by the food. Amen? GYC food used to get a bad rep. But this year, it has been excellent. So whoever sorted out the menu, thank you very much. The food has been excellent. I'd like to invite you to bow your heads for a word of prayer as we begin. Father in heaven, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would speak through me. Bless those who are in this place. Bless those who are watching the online GYC audience as well. May your spirit move. May it not be in my words, but yours. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The sermon title for today is The Beast and the Beauty the beast and the beauty. We're looking at the story of Laodicea. It was about a year ago that I had the privilege to travel to the city of Laodicea in the modern-day country of Turkey. It lies in a fertile valley, something maybe like uh, Northern California where Napa Valley is, or, or other places where the south of France where you have vineyards growing. As you're driving down there in the valley, you see vineyards on both sides of the road beautiful, beautiful, fertile place. It grows lovely grapes. We bought some at a roadside stall, lovely, juicy melons as well. And as we're driving down there, it's fascinating when you visit the seven churches, if you ever get the chance to, or if you watch the lineage videos, you get a, a fascinating to get the opportunity to, to see what the Bible says. And then you see those analogies that we hear preached about, you actually see them in real life. So about 30 miles from Laodicea, we're about 30 minutes away, I saw way in the distance on the hillside this kind of like white formation. If you weren't in 30-degree heat and you weren't in Turkey, you would assume it was a snow-covered mountain. My mind said, maybe that's the mineral deposits from the hot springs that flow down to Laodicea. But no, we're so far away, surely it's not that big. And as we get closer and closer and closer to Laodicea, this kind of white thing that was like small size just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until you're like, yeah, that, that's the hot springs from Heriopolis that would flow down to Laodicea. And by the time the water gets there, it's lukewarm. You see those things right before your eyes and it makes the Bible both real and it affirms your faith. In addition to Laodicea being a, uh, a um, we have this lukewarm analogy where the water would start hot, and it's still hot today, and flow down the valley in the pipes, 
when it reaches Laodicea, it's lukewarm. In addition to that, Laodicea was a banking center. We've heard about, you know, it, it being rich this week. It also had a black cloth. We heard about that this week. Uh, and then also, it was famous for some of its medical schools. And the way that John describes Laodicea is in ways that they would not choose to describe themselves. Often the opposite. They have medical schools, schools that specialize in eye surgery, blind. They're wealthy, you're poor. They have special black clothing, put some white clothing on. He uses this opposite thing as he's, as he's uh, describing them and telling them what they need. Today's message will focus on the part that deals with our eyes, the eye salve. Our sight is one of the most important things that we possess. Have you ever been asked the question, would you rather lose your sight or your hearing? For me, it's an easy question. Easy question. Would I rather lose my sight or my hearing? My hearing. No question. If I had to choose between the two, I'd say goodbye to my ears and keep my eyes. Because in my unscientific, unprofessional opinion, I believe I could do more by seeing and not hearing than by hearing and not seeing. You could still read, could still see the beauty in the world, you could still travel and, and operate much more similar to the way I would normally. Our sight is vitally important. And Laodicea, we're going to look a little bit in this today. In ancient Laodicea, they had a medical school. In ancient Laodicea, this medical school would produce a particular eye salve, a Phrygian eye salve. And listen carefully, it would help those who had partially lost their sight and aid them to see better. It wasn't used to benefit the completely blind, but it was used to benefit those who had dimmed eyesight or a little problem with the eyes and this Phrygian eye salve that was, that was there in that area that people would come around to get. It would help people who had some sight, but they weren't fully blind. The people who came for medical help were not fully blind people. That's why we don't read about Laodicea having the ancient equivalent of a braille something, you know, factory there, or the ancient equivalent of a guide dog breeding factory in Laodicea. I salve for the partially blind, dim sighted. But the Bible says they're blind. Let's unpack this a little bit. It says they're blind, but then it also tells them you're blind, but you don't know it. To me, this might indicate, and I don't want to sound like heretical or anything, this indicates that they're blind, but they don't know it. So what does it mean they're blind, but they don't know it? In my mind, a blind person knows they're blind. So how can you be blind and not know it? In the world of absolutes, obviously, unless you're fully sighted or fully on fire for God in the spiritual application, you're not at all. But they're blind, but they don't know it. Could it be that they have some eyesight, partial, just like in old times that people who came to Laodicea were people who had partial eyesight, and they came to get it better? Could it be that as it's describing Laodicea in our spiritual condition, 
who we are spiritually is describing a group of people who have some sight. They have some righteousness. They have some uh, drippings of Christianity. They have some drippings of, of look like they're doing okay, but not fully. In many ways, this goes along with the other description of Laodicea, because the other description of Laodicea says that you are lukewarm. You're not hot, you're not cold. You're in this ambient stage in the middle. And that's the problem. This blindness of being, you're blind, but you don't know you're blind. You're blind, but you don't know you're blind. I remember once, about 10 or 12 years ago, I got my eyes tested. I have a friend who's a doctor, eye doctor. My eyesight was perfectly fine, nothing wrong with my eyes, but I thought, oh, let me just get my eyes tested. So I got my eyes tested. I was out in California. And it came that my eyes... One eye was 2013 vision. If you don't know what that is, it's better than 2020. And the other eye was 2014 vision. So I'm very proud of my eyes because it's not 2020, it's even better than 2020. 2013, 2014. Felt good about myself. I'd look at things way away and start reading them in the distance just for fun. And then about Three years ago, we got through the post in our house in England, through the mail, as you say, in America. We got through the post coming in, uh, this thing, this offer saying, free eye test. So I said, okay, I'll go free eye test. I'll go for a free eye test. So I go for the free eye test. Now, in my mind, there's nothing wrong with my eyes. I mean, I can still, I can read my Bible, I can read my sermon notes. Everything's kind of fine. Everything's fine then. So I'll go for the free eye test. And as I go for the free eye test at Specsavers in England, the guy tells me, here's your prescription. You need some glasses. Right, huh? 2013, 2014, my eyesight's good. I only came here because it was free. It didn't come here because I thought I needed it. Then I thought, you know what? This is a scam. You know, guys, you've got you to stay on top of things these days. There's conspiracies, and you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. Free eye test, they're telling me to buy glasses. I'm not sure about this. So I wait until I go, come back here to America, and I was visiting Tennessee, and I saw a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Sarah Shim, and, and I said, can you test my eyes, please? I trust you. She's the one that tested them the first time, actually. And so she tests my eyes, and, yeah, you need glasses? I had no idea that I needed anything. I just went for a free eye test, because it was a free eye test. So, yeah, maybe not as strong as they, they were recommending, but, yeah, you could do with some for night driving or if you're watching a screen too long. And, and so I got these and, and I, would, I, I wear them sometimes as I'm driving and I, and I spend more time lifting them up and down than I actually do. Ah, like they say it will sharpen the words. So when I see it, I say, oh, it is. I, oh, I guess they're right. It is a bit sharper. Laodicea is blind, but they don't know they're blind. If you can't see, then you know it. Maybe even take it a step further if you're blind. A lot of people who aren't blind can look at someone who's blind and tell that they are blind. Not all the time, sometimes. They can see a little bit, 
but they can't see enough to see what their problem is. It's a terrible thing to be bad at something but think you're good at something. You see this today, parents who tell their children, and I use these words very carefully, they mercilessly praise their children when they're rubbish at something. There's encouragement and there's illogical praise. Everyone's a winner. Pat everyone on the back. Prizes for everyone. You're really good at basketball. You're really good at soccer. You're really good at football. No, you're not. People say, Who, who's the favorite judge on Britain's Got Talent or America's Got Talent? The, the best judge is Simon Cowell. Because he tells it like it is. Someone can't sing, go tell them they can't sing. I remember once I witnessed this story. I was in a country that remained unnamed, and I was with friends that remained unnamed. And we were preaching, there was three of us, and, and each night someone different would preach. And on one night when one of my friends was preaching, I, I had the night off, the other friend was due to sing. Now, he thought he was a good singer. I know I'm not a good singer. That's why when I walked out on stage, I didn't, I didn't try and do a Sebastian Braxton. I let him do the singing tonight. Now, this friend sang in choirs in college. He thought he had a good voice. He had quite a high view of his ability. Let me, let me give you the illustration. One time at prayer meeting in college, they announced and they said, I will now be blessed by a special item from the men's quartet. Four men stand up to sing. Quartet. He then stands up and joins them at the front. Now, it's prayer meeting. It's a special item just before the preacher comes up. So they don't want to make a commotion, but they're looking at him. And in their eyes and their looks, they're saying, what are you doing here? And he whispers back. He was friends with him. He whispers back and he's like, I'm the missing link, guys. Let's sing. I'm the missing link. Let's sing. So we're in this country and has to do special music. Now, in the previous country that we had traveled to do a campaign at, he had sang on the closing night of the evangelistic series. And as he's standing there singing, an old lady walks up in the congregation with the equivalent of a $10 bill in her hand. She walks up while he's singing, puts the money in his pocket, and kisses him on the cheek. He was on cloud nine. He really thought he can sing. I'm just explaining that to let you know the mindset of, of, of said individual. Remember, we're talking about Laodicea. They're blind, but they don't know they're blind. Actually think they can see. So my friends do a special music. We're in a country that will remain unnamed, but I'll tell you the part of the world we're in. We're in Southern Africa. South Africa, Zimbabwe, Zambia, Botswana, Swaziland, Lesotho. In the limited travel I've done in the world, that's the best place in the world for singing. The best. From where I've traveled. I haven't been to West Africa or East Africa or North Africa or South America. But that part of the world, the singing is just amazing. So he stands up to sing. No old ladies walk down the aisle. No one puts money in his pocket. No one kisses him on the cheek. As he sits back down, as he sits back down, the person sitting next to him looked over and said, before you get up next time, make sure you practice. Now, they were kind of friends, and he was joking, but many a true word is said in jest. Many a true word is said in jest. 
Now, that was the wrong thing to say. We go home that night, and he has to preach for Sabbath divine service the next day. So what does he do? Instead of preparing his sermon, he spent three hours practicing a new song. Three hours practicing a new song. And as he gets up in front of the church the next day, he says these words. He says, when I sat down yesterday, so-and-so said to me that uh, before you get up next time, make sure you practice. And then he looks out on the congregation with a smile on his face and says, you won't mind if I practice on y'all this morning, will you? Wrong thing to say. The song starts, the soundtrack starts, and it was a duet, so the other person singing the first verse, everything's good. The chorus, they sing together, everything's good. The soundtrack now plays, and now it's his time to sing. Silence. Forgot his words. Silence. Then I heard him making some guttural sound. Uh, uh, uh. Like, I thought, what are you doing and later on? He said, oh, I thought if I just make some noise, it will, the words will come back. <laughs> the whole verse goes. And by now, people, you know, it's embarrassing when people start raising their hands and saying, it's okay, preacher. <laughs> God loves you anyway. <laughs> Chorus is okay. Da, da, da. Then he has to preach after that. <laughs> and after his sermon, he then said, I'm going to do the special music again. And he did. You may say it's an illustration in determination. I would suggest to you it's not so much an illustration in determination. It's an illustration in pride cometh before fall. It's also an illustration in don't think you're better than you are. Laodicea can see, but they don't, sorry, Laodicea is blind, but they don't know they're blind. Maybe they have some sight but not enough to see anything of any spiritual value, not enough to have any critical self-reflection or analysis. Laodicea is spiritually deluded. We are going through times today in this world's history when there's going to be deception on all sides. Matthew 24 says, beware of deception, beware of deception, beware of deception. There is deception that is external, and there is deception that is internal. Laodicea, you and I, we are internally, internally deceived. Internally deceived. Know what you can and you can't do. Now, some people say, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. If GYC asked me to sing, I'd say, no. Oh, the committee prayed about it. Well, you need to pray again. <laughs> Even my two-year-old son, he loves to sing, and we hope he'll take after his mother, but when I, sometimes he loves to sing, and I'll join him singing, and he stops and he says, no, Daddy, don't sing. <laughs> he says, don't sing, Daddy. And I say, can Mommy sing? Yeah. <laughs> if you have a Bible, turn to Luke 22. Luke 22. Laodicea, eyesight. When I was thinking of a Bible character who illustrates this point, blind but doesn't know it. Doing a little bit of good or enough good to delude themselves but doesn't really know their true condition. I think of Peter. Peter is illustrative of Laodicea. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, stay, stay, there, stay there in Luke 22, we'll come there in a second. In Matthew 4, verse 18, Peter is mending his nets, and Jesus comes and says, come follow me. Peter follows Jesus, and not only that, he becomes one of Jesus' favorite disciples. Peter, James, and John. 
Can you imagine being in the inner circle? Peter's probably like 18, 19 years old. He's in the inner circle of Jesus who does miracles. He's walking around with Jesus. He, he, he's fellowshipping with Jesus. He's one of Jesus' right-hand men. Peter, unfortunately, unfortunately, mistook his popularity and success with Jesus and thought that was synonymous with his faithfulness. Because the audience responded when he sang or he preached, it must have meant that he, whatever he did was good. Because he's got lots of views on his YouTube channel, then he must be doing good. Because he's getting followers on his ministry Instagram account, he must be doing well. Because the event he organized at church had a lot of people attend and sit their backsides on chairs, it must mean that the event was good. That subscribers in some digital outer space world means that you are sincere. Peter was confused. Now, there are a number of times when Peter emphatically states he will follow Jesus. In Mark 14, Jesus tells the disciples, one of you is going to betray me. And, and then in Luke, Luke 22, where we are, Luke 22, if you're there. I trust you're there. Luke 22, there, Luke 22, yep. And verse 32, the Bible says there, Luke 22, verse 32. Jesus, if you've got red-lettered Bibles, well, verse 31, he says, Simon, Simon, uh, Satan wants to have you. Verse 32, I have prayed for you that your faith doesn't fail, and when you are, what's the next word? Converted, do what? Strengthen the bread. Jesus looks at Peter. This is at the end of three and a half years of ministry. He looks at Peter and says, when, future tense, when in the future you are converted. Huh? But I preach Jesus. Helped you feed the 5,000. I walked on water. When you're converted, strengthen the brethren. Then he goes one step further. Are we in 23? Is it 23, 22? Verse 34. Well, verse 33, he says, listen, I will go with you to prison and death. Verse 34. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the cock will not crow this day before you have three times denied that you know me. How blunt can you get? Turn to Mark 14, previous book of the Bible, Mark 14. How blunt can you get? Jesus is there talking to Peter, and he tells him, he says, Peter, when you're converted, strengthen the brethren. Peter's like, hey, 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 hey. I'll go to prison. I'll go to death. And Jesus is like, oh, you're going to deny me three times. That's blunt. Hard, you could say. To the point. Mark 14, and in Mark 14, uh, the Bible says there in verse 27, in Mark 14 and verse 27, or verse 26, it says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, all of you will be offended because of me this night, and will be scattered like sheep. He said, I know I've just told you one of you is going to betray me, and I know I've just told you that one of you is going to deny me, but then he goes and says, Everybody all of you, looks at his 12 closest friends and says, all of you are going to be offended because of me today. And Peter says, verse 29, although all, I know these lot Jesus aren't quite serious about life. 
Though all of these, Peter says, looking at the other 11, though all of these well, me, no. I'm with you, Jesus. Jesus says in verse 30, Verily I say to you that this day, even this day, shall the cock crow twice. Before the cock crows twice, you will deny me thrice. Laodicea is blind, but they don't know they're blind. Here Jesus is talking to Peter in the most blunt way possible. When you're converted, you're going to deny me. I'm trying to let you know, Peter, this is your spiritual condition. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. Those guys, yeah, those 11, but not me. Not me. And verse 31, it says, but he spoke vehemently, King James. Your Bible might say he spoke emphatically with conviction, with passion. He's like, no, Jesus. If I would die with you, I won't deny you. Like Jesus, me and you, we're boys. We go everywhere together. We ride together. We die together. We're never going to deny. I'm never going to deny you. Never. I'll die before I deny you. Blind, but don't know it. Despite hearing these blunt statements from Jesus, he looks back at Jesus. Despite hearing these blunt statements about his spiritual condition, he looks back at Jesus and says, yeah. He looks into the face of truth. He looks into the face of Jesus and he says, you're wrong. You're wrong. And friends, don't we do that all the time, like Laodicea? Jesus says, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And we're like, no, you're wrong, Jesus. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I did? Don't you know what I've given up? Don't you know you're wrong? You need eye salve. You can see enough to know that you like Jesus, or you say you do. But you can't see enough to know your spiritual condition. No self-reflection, no analysis. It's a terrible thing when you, when you ever meet another human being who can't analyze critically them, their work performance or something like that. And Jesus is here as the one doing the diagnosis. And later, see, looks back at Jesus and says, no. No. I'm not taking a diagnosis from you, Jesus. Today in this world, we're living with millennials, anyone under the age of 42, 43 or so. Generation Z, or Z, as you say over here. In our postmodern and post-truth world, where we have lost faith in the institutions of society. We don't trust the government anymore, because we've got a Facebook timeline. Don't trust scientists anymore because I've got a mate who really knows stuff. It's indicative. Social media has, has, has heightened this state of society where we don't trust the institutions in society. It's been going on for the last 10, 20 years. But now it's just like reaching a fever pitch. Government? No. Chief medical officer? No. Scientists? Nah. 
My pastor? No. The conference officials? We distrust the institutions of society and, and the sources of authority, and it bleeds into our relationship with God as well. No, you can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me who I am. No, no. Jesus tells Peter who he is, and Peter strongly disagrees. The uh, Desire of Ages says, let me read here, quotation. It says that when Peter said to Jesus he would go to prison and death, he meant it, every word of it. But he did not know himself. Hidden with his heart were elements of evil that circumstances would fan into life. And unless he made conscious of this danger, it would prove his eternal ruin. The Savior saw a self-love and assurance that would overbear even his love for Jesus. He was so self-assured. He loved himself so much that it would overbear his love, which was there, of Jesus. Instead of heart-searching, though, Peter felt distrusted. And he became offended by what Jesus said. And thus he became more persistent in his self-confidence and he became a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, you say I'm not, oh, you, you say? Let me show you. Pull out a sword. Bang, bang. Let, let, let me teach you. Peter needed eye salve. He needed his eyes to be anointed and open. Peter needed the Holy Spirit to reveal to him his condition. It was in John 9, I believe you studied today where Jesus takes a paste and, and spits on it and puts it on a man's eyes, and the man is healed. The healing wasn't in the spit or, or in the mud. The healing is in Jesus who applies it. Before Jesus started his ministry, the Bible says in Acts 10 verse 38 that he was anointed by the Holy Ghost. You and I need anointing by the Holy Ghost. The eye salve that we need is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit speaks to us through his word. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict and guide us into all truth. John 16 verse 8 says, And when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you. He will convict you of sin and of righteousness. Peter needed to see his true condition. Verse 14 of chapter 16 of John, right after the one we often read, verse 8 to 11, it tells us that one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. If you're only seeing the role of the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin, you're only looking at half of the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict you of sin, but to also show who Jesus is. The sermon title is The Beast and the Beauty. It's to show you the beastly nature of sin, but it's also to show you the beauty of Jesus. See, sometimes we think we're doing all right, we think we're doing fine, but it's in that moment where we have a struggle, it's in that moment where we fall, it's in that moment where a high opinion of ourselves doesn't really mean anything, we, it's in that moment where we go to that place we know we shouldn't go, or we do that act we shouldn't go, or we go to that website we shouldn't go to, it's in that moment where we do that, where the Spirit convicts us who we are. But that's only half of what the Holy Spirit does, the beast and the beauty. The Spirit convicts us of the wretchedness of us, and it convicts us of the preciousness of Jesus. Now, I'm not going to say which order it comes in. It's probably a symbiotic relationship between the two. That 
as you see how beautiful Jesus is, you also see how sinful you are and vice versa and so on, back and forth. And turn in your Bibles to Luke 22 back there. There's a, there's a few verses of Scripture that I want to read as, as we... Illustrate this. Verse 60, the Bible says, and this is Peter, he's denying Jesus. And verse 60, uh, 60, it says, and Peter said, man, I know not what you say. And immediately while he spoke, the cock crowed. Verse 61, and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and it goes on and says, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said before the cock crow, you will deny me thrice, and verse 62 says, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and for a moment, for a few seconds, their eyes locked gazes. Jesus looking at Peter. Peter looking at Jesus. And it wasn't that type of look that some of you get when you were a children, child in church, and you're sitting a few rows behind your parents, and you're making noise with your friend, and your parent turns around and looks. You straighten up and quieten up. Wasn't that look? The look that Jesus gave Peter as their eyes locked was a look of love. It was a look of compassion. It was a look that says, I know you've messed up, but I'm still here to help you, Peter. As Peter's eyes lock on Jesus, his heart is convicted, and the Bible says he goes out and weeps bitterly. Bitterly. Tears of sorrow, tears of repentance. But as it says in Thessalonians, and I know I'm not quoting it in its correct context, so any theologians here, please forgive me. I'm applying uh, what it says in Thessalonians. The Bible, he goes out and weeps, but he doesn't weep as one who has no hope. The way Jesus looked at him, the way Peter sees the beauty of Jesus... means instead of weeping without hope, he weeps in hope. In hope of a savior, in hope of salvation, he sees simultaneously in that moment, Ellen White says that was the lowest point of Peter's life, he sees in that moment Everything Jesus said about me, when you're converted, you're gonna deny me, and da 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 Everything Jesus said is true. But at the same time in that moment, instead of it being despair, he looks at Jesus and he has hope. He goes and weeps bitterly. But he knows. Then in contrast to his beastly nature of sin, the beauty of Jesus can heal him. Laodicea, we need to see clearly what sin is and how sinful we are. At the same time, may the Holy Spirit convict us of sin and of righteousness. And it's through His Word 
that He convicts us. What is the Spirit convicting you of today? Nineteen eighty-seven, communist Romania. Ceausescu, Nicolae Ceausescu, was the president, I guess you'd say, of Romania. A man walks into a lady's office, and he says these words: "I am not your client. I am here to kill you." He lifts up his arm and he points the gun at Virginia Prodan's face, letting her know that he has personally been sent by Ceausescu. Michael Tort was six foot ten inches tall. He'd been recruited straight out of school. He quickly climbed the ranks of the Secret Service. He was one of their most effective agents, planting documents, capturing people, torturing them, killing people. He had killed many people by this time of his life. And standing in front of him was a lawyer, five foot tall, who defended Christians and pastors and churches uh, that were being persecuted by the communist government. She'd been placed under house arrest, she'd been arrested, she'd been beaten, all types of things. And, and they wanted to get rid of her because she was causing huge problems for the country, huge problems. She was getting news coverage from Christian radio stations around the world. And as the gun is raised and pointed at her face, Michael says, Michael says he got enjoyment as he saw the fear coming across her face, and he was going to strangle her, but he, he thought the gun would scare her more, so he's using this gun, and as she looks at him, as she looks at him, she hears a voice that says, share the gospel. And she tells the man, I know you have a job to do, but before you do it, can I share a few things with you? And she started to recite from memory Bible verses, just Bible verses. One Bible verse after another with a gun in her face. One Bible verse. She's five foot tall. He's almost two foot taller than her. And she's just quoting Bible verses. And she said later on, it went on for about half an hour. Bible verse after Bible verse. And she saw his, so his shoulders kind of sag down. She saw his head drop. She could see the convicting power of the Holy Spirit upon his life. And she was quoting Bible text after Bible text after Bible text. She closes and says, we're all sinners, we need to turn to God. And finally, she asks him, she looks it up and she says, do you want to accept Jesus as your Savior? He'd come to kill her, and he looks back and he says, yes, I do. He never killed her that day. He never pulled the trigger. He accepted Jesus into his life because he saw the beastliness of who he was, and he saw the beauty of Jesus. His bosses assumed he got in a crash on the way home because he was crying so much as he was driving. And his bosses assumed that he had not killed her because he got in a car crash and he never corrected them. Later on, he tracked her down to Dallas, Texas, where she lives today. And uh, he was a pastor, he was a preacher, and he told her, you saved my life. The Holy Spirit convicts us of the beastly nature of ourself. And the Holy Spirit convicts us of the beauty of Jesus. Peter saw who he was, and in that very moment, as he sees who he is, he sees the beauty of Jesus. Laodicea, we need to see who we are, our self-reliance, our self-satisfaction, our feeling good about ourselves. It needs to go, and we need to see our nothingness in the sight of God, and our need for a total reliance, a total dependence upon Jesus Christ as we see his beauty. Today, as we come to the close of this message, I just want to appeal to you. 
is the Spirit convicting you of your sin? Do you need to take time to contemplate the beauty of Jesus? Do you, may, do you need to make a decision of total surrender to Jesus? As a spirit convicts you of sin. Know that as a spirit convicts you of sin, we don't sorrow as those with no hope. When Peter went out and wept bitterly, it was a different weeping to the one that Judas did. Judas kissed Jesus, very intimate. Their eyes would have locked. But he doesn't see who he is and he doesn't see who Jesus is. Peter though, sees exactly who he is and he sees exactly who Jesus is. Today I just wanna to close and ask this question. How many of you want the eye salve to be applied to your life? To see who you are and see who Jesus is. To know your condition, not to think you're better than you are. If you want eye salve, if you want to make a full surrender, if you want to know and realize how nothing you are. I just want to appeal to you and ask you if you, that's you. As we stand, to stand. That we close in a prayer of commitment from this service here at GYC. My second appeal, and there's only two, is this one. I would like to ask an appeal to someone here today who the Holy Spirit is speaking to you realize exactly who you are and you may realize who Jesus is or you may know you need to learn to realize who Jesus is but you want to make a full, total surrender, acknowledgement of your nothingness that you have not yet made in baptism. Today, if you would like to make a decision for baptism, or maybe you've wandered far from God and been in the wilderness for 40 years, and you need to renew that commitment through baptism, to Jesus and you want to surrender all to him I'd just like to invite whoever that may be to come down here to the front and we'll have a prayer of surrender dedication and commitment
just wait a little bit longer. You'd like to make a decision that you have not yet made for baptism. I'd like to invite you to come out your seat and down to the front. If you need to say excuse me, say excuse me. If you need to ask someone to move out your way, ask them to move out your way. You're making a public declaration that gives you a certain level of accountability as well. Some people say, I'll just, in my head. Accountability is good. To someone else who wants to come forward, say, I want to surrender my life in baptism. bow our heads as we pray. Father in heaven, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, Lord, we thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit who speaks to all of us. Lord, as we have stood to say, Lord, I want to surrender all to you, Lord. I want to see who I am. Remove the scales from my eyes and let me see your beauty be with those of us Lord who have stood here or in our homes or places where we're watching and Lord for those who've come forward and said they want to be baptized Lord I pray that you put a hedge of protection around each and every one of them I pray that Lord the decisions that they have made may be sealed and bless them from this moment until the day when they make that full surrender to you. Lord, we ask your blessing upon our lives. May we stay faithful to you, Lord, until the day when you come. And Lord, I pray that day when you come is soon and very soon. Even so, come Lord Jesus. This we pray in Jesus' name. This message was recorded at the GYC Conference, Nothing, in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take sacrificial initiative for Christ and to see Jesus finish the work in this generation. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.